Long Road Ahead by Diane Reeves from her new album, Beautiful Life. Hi, my name is Diane Reeves, and you're listening to Jazz Beat with Dia Bakit. Today on Jazz Beat, we have Amina Figueroa. The name is well known in the world of jazz as one of the most prolific pianists. Amina, welcome to Jazz Beat. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Sure. Great pleasure. Thank you. You have been touring the United States for concerts and uh, performances. Where are you right now and uh, where did you go? Uh, right now I'm in New York. Actually, um, we just moved to New York from the Netherlands uh, a couple of months ago. So we are getting acquainted with um, daily life in New York, which is great. Um, in fact, we just came back from Mississippi where we play bass spring jazz festival. And how did you find the audience in the Mississippi? Great. Absolutely great. I mean, it's a small festival. Uh, it's existed only 15 years. It's called Jazz and Grow. So it's beautiful nature. Um, uh, I believe pecan trees around and... Um, Audiences are very relaxed, and uh, you can see they're hungry for jazz, and they really appreciate it, and they listen really well, they pay attention. Um, I think audiences all over the United States is great, and audiences in New York are, of course, special, because um, you can hear every day absolutely great, and a great amount of jazz, and great jazz musicians, so... It's um, every time we play here, you know, it gives us some special um, feeling that, you know, that at the same time people could have gone to uh, hear, you know, a lot of another performances that are going uh, at the same time around. And yet they come to us and that gives us really, really great feeling. And the audiences are also very, very sophisticated, very appreciative, uh, very good listeners. And... Um, I mean, you notice uh, when um, after the show, most of the time when you talk to the audience, so when they come to buy CDs, they come um, to ask for a particular song, for the particular story of the song I've told, which means that they really listen and pay attention, asking really interesting questions. So play here, and it's, it's a great honor. I mean, you have so many great musicians here around. So it's a great honor to play here. Yeah, when I listen to your music, I feel the flavor of big band, good old jazz mixed with a little classical. Mm-hmm. Did you have any chance to go to any of the jazz camps in the United States, any of the exchange programs? Yes, that's right. I did. Um, I did the exchange program with the Berkeley College of Music. So I went to Berkeley College, therefore, and I did to the jazz camp. That was at the time Thelonious Monk Institute was having jazz camp in Snowmass uh, in Colorado, in Aspen. And actually, that was uh, exactly the time when I realized that, I, I mean, I've always loved big band, but um, there were also, we were practicing, you know, to play with big band and everything. And, you know, the piano player has a very poor role in a big band. It's not a poor role, but in a way, you have very little space and uh, uh, really short solo. So um, I decided to create a band that would, 
yet closer to the sound of the big band, but has really um, enough space. Um, every, every musician will have enough space. So then I created septet. So I had also um, an alto saxophonist as well in my band. And um, and then later on, uh, it's changed into sextet. But I think with the sound of the big band in my head, that's what I, I was always the way I'm writing. Right now you have a sextet. Yes, it's, it's a sextet now. <laughs> But you had a septet. I wonder which player did you have to take off the group? Yeah, uh, the alt saxophone I took off. Actually, it's interesting uh, how it became sextet because... Um, it's not that I decided one day, you know, stop with the alto player. No, that's that's not the story. The thing is that um, very, um, I mean, in 2001, in uh, 10 years ago on 9/11, I was here, and uh, um, I mean, I was staying. Uh, I was playing with a, a vocalist uh, in Manhattan. I was staying with friends in Brooklyn, and uh, um, after what happened on 9/11, I was kind of by myself because I was staying there uh, by myself with the friends. They were not home. And I was, you know, um, it's it's um, it's already terrible to, you know, to witness um, what happened then, the terror attack. But then to be by yourself, have no one to talk to, that was kind of, um, um, it had a great impact on me. So when I came back to Holland, I decided I don't want to hear and see anything anymore because I was so traumatized when I came back. But yet I saw a documentary on uh, BBC actually about British family that lost uh, one of their family member in the uh, terror attack. And um, the music came to me by itself. And this music, that was for sextet, I didn't hear any alto saxophone. And again, I did not mean to uh, extend and to write more about this, but the music came to me by itself. And every time it would be a quintet or with the combination of the tenor saxophone and trumpet or a trumpet and flute, anything I would hear, it would be like quintet, sextet. I just had uh, no um, alto saxophone some, somehow in, in my head. And uh, again, it was not a project I would, you know, say, now I'm going to sit down and write project. No, that was a very spontaneous thing. And... Um, So I decided uh, to go on and pursue with this project and to uh, finish off. And still I didn't hear alto saxophone. And then when we recorded and we played with Sextet, I thought, well, it sounds so uh, more open. I mean, it has some, um, uh, it became maybe more fragile, but I love the sound of the Sextet. So um, that's, that's how actually it became. Very interesting. What's your story with playing piano? Mm -hmm. What was your experience with American jazz? Well, I've always listened to American jazz when I was little. I grew up in Azerbaijan, uh, which is part of former Soviet Union. Uh, but we had huge jazz tradition. I think, um, in general, the people love jazz. And uh, part of it is that our uh, folk music based on uh, theme improvisation Back in, to the theme, just right in jazz. In Azerbaijan. So like in, yes, that's right. And that's why um, I think, that's my theory, that's why uh, people always listen to jazz or jazzy kind of music. I mean, even today, if you listen to the local pop music, it's all based 
and arranged and uh, produced by jazz musicians. So you always hear these jazz influences in some improvisational parts. And that's why I was, you know, um, attracted to jazz and also huge influence of my parents that love jazz music. Mainly my mother would play all the time records of Ella Fitzgerald, of Duke Ellington, Oscar Peterson. She was absolutely crazy about uh, Louis Armstrong. So I was introduced to jazz really early, but I was playing classical music. So these parallels were always uh, in my life. Louis Armstrong and Duke Ellington were very famous at that time in Azerbaijan? Yes, yes. Very interesting. Yes, they were. And um, uh, we had uh, jazz festivals uh, since I remember since I was little. Probably we had jazz concerts. I remember, I don't even remember all the names, but I know there were some musicians touring all over the Soviet Union, always coming to Azerbaijan because, again, um, the demand was big. And uh, I would go to all those concerts. And then um, when I grew up, let's say around my 14s, 15s, that's when I really got into the Motown music. And I was listening Motown music, and then later on I was into the electric band uh, of uh, Herbie Hancock. So, you know, the music was always with me. I just started playing it later because I was so busy with my classical career, but it um, grew together. And that's before you moved to the Netherlands, right? That's right. Very interesting. We'll be right back with pianist and composer Amina Figueroa after listening to one of her compositions, Four Steps. Thank you. 
Four Steps by renowned jazz pianist and composer Amina Figueroa. Amina, what made you fall in love with jazz when you were younger? How do you compose your music? Um, you know, as I told, the sophisticating, uh, sophisticating harmony and improvisation. I must say, I was uh, lately analyzing a little. Uh, as a classical pianist, um, all my life, I, most of the time, I loved to play variations, which is their theme, and then you have, like, let's say, written 10, 12, uh, 24 variations on this theme. So I think this improvisational part always attracted me. And um, uh, part of the game, when I was really little, I would play with the piano. It's not just that I was practicing, but uh, I would do, like, games on the piano, I'd play the same melody 10 different ways. And I was writing when I was, I was Uh, music when I was really little. So I think, um, you know, like messing with music and uh, um, this improvisational part always attracted me because um, I didn't like to play the same song twice the same way. It was not interesting. And uh, the jazz harmonies that I would hear, and in jazz, but also in uh, some of the Motown music, I, I don't know. It's, uh, it moved me always. It's hard. It just always was moving me. And when did you start composing music? What was your first composition? Oh, do you want to know? <laughs> I was three years old. Um, Unbelievable. Three years old. Yeah, I mean, I started playing when I was two. We had a piano, and I just discovered it uh, by myself. And um, I started um, playing stuff that I've heard on radio and TV. And then when I was three, I started writing. Uh, I could not write notes but I would uh, play them, and then my parents would record it on tape. And um, actually, the way I was writing, it was like anything I decide to say, sometimes I would sing it, and then I will play it, and I will find my own harmonies underneath, and I will play and sing uh, stuff like, uh, you know, to today we went with my grandpa to the park, and I lost a magazine he bought for me. That was one of my first songs. Yeah. And, I, and it was uh, consistent. I mean, I would play the song today, tomorrow, and after tomorrow, and I would find the harmonies, and um, that would be the song. And um, so it was kind of like a game. And then um, I would hear some, you know, music on radio. I would write kind of like as if it's uh, in the style, you know, I love whatever I heard. And then when I went to music school when I was six, and, uh, you know, start playing um, composers like Mozart, Haydn, that I would write in the style of the composers I would play at the time. And then later on I start writing for um, uh, cellist. I was, um, actually he was my teacher of the chamber music, which means that, uh, I mean, he was cellist and I was playing with him all the chamber music. And I really, really, uh, you know, liked him. He was a great, great man. And um, I start writing stuff for him. So anything I was, you know, like touching, I would write music about. So to uh, me, it was a way to express myself. And not that I was really writing. I was just expressing myself. Do you just improvise and record yourself? And how much time do you usually need to come up with a new composition? It's uh, very different because it depends if I write for my band or if I write for... Um, for example, somebody writes lyrics and asks me to write uh, the uh, music. music for that. It's, it depends, you know. 
um, if I write for my band, I have all the freedom. So usually I get inspired and I hear stuff in my head, and then I actually it's a matter of uh, write it down, and that's it. It's It somehow does not take a time, because it's, mo- most of the time I hear from the beginning till the end the whole arrangement, the whole thing. Um, and this is, you know, because it's so free. Um, and um, when I write for uh, uh, somebody that wrote lyrics first, that depends on lyrics because some of them really groovy and uh, the music comes right away. I was asked to do an interesting project a um, year ago, but all the lyrics were in Hebrew. And I don't speak the language, so that was more difficult. That took some time because I had to get used to the language. I needed translations. I needed pronunciation. I needed to know how to break it. But finally, the CD came out and became really great. But that that took way you know longer because that was totally different. And um, or I wrote music for the musical. Then again, I had to really uh, be very aware of the styles and the lengths and the minutes and the seconds and stuff like that. So then you really kind of, you know, have to do very different kind of work. But when I write for my band, it's it's very easy, and it's most of the time somewhere in the back of my mind. You mentioned Hebrew. Does it mean you had joint projects with other artists? Yeah, I um, have a good friend. Uh, she was born in Israel, but uh, she's a... a wonderful singer, and she's a jazz club owner in Luxembourg. So I played there many times, and uh, she likes my music. And um, I was always, you know, inspiring her go back to singing because she became mother of three, and, you know, her hands are full with everything. I was, like, telling her, come on, you know, try to get out and do some music because I know she was suffering without playing. And she said, okay, I will if you will write it. I said, okay. But I didn't realize by the time that it will go in Hebrew. And then when she sent me lyrics, I was looking at this, and I said, like, my goodness. Oh, what what shall I do? But I did, you know, you know, push her to sing. So I thought, okay, I, I, I pushed her. Now I have to make it. And um, I did. Did you record a CD, an album? Yes. Yes, there is a beautiful CD that's called Tehora, which means um, pure. And um, yes, the CD is also out, and it uh, became also a very interesting album with uh, jazz, um, Middle Eastern influences. This composition, When the Lights Go Down, does it mean anything to you? must be a story behind it. Yes, uh, When the Lights Go Down, that's a composition from my 9-11 CD, and, uh, which is called September Suite. It's a tribute to 9-11, but it's also a tribute to mourning. And um, that was another documentary I've seen on the uh, TV. That was about a guy that lost his wife in um, World Trade Center attack. And uh, he was telling um, this very touching story. He said, daytime, I have to run uh, errands and take care of the baby because They had, uh, like, three-month-old baby. Uh, ran around for the baby, take care. But at night, when the lights go, went down, that's when uh, I was alone by myself with my sadness. And uh, he was shocked to hear his own footsteps. And when I heard him, you know, like, he's in the darkness of his room, hearing his own footsteps, uh, I had automatically this kind of almost Chopin-like 
footstep music yeah, going I was on. Going, yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> yeah, and that's how I started, and then that's why I wrote it's a very lonesome tune when the lights go down. Is there anything you would like to share with our audience before we go? Oh, definitely. I mean, um, you know, it's uh, interesting that uh, you were uh, asking me, you know, that I was listening to Duke Ellington and Elle Fitzgerald when I was little. Yes, we had all these records, but I also listened to lots of, lots of music on Voice of America. That's when I was little. That was my uh, connection to, to America, listening to the Voice of America and all the music I could find there. So that's why I feel really privileged to <laughs> have an interview on this radio. And um, and um, I, I must say that um, it's it's great for me to play all over the world, but it's definitely amazing to play jazz and now live in the cradle of jazz in the United States. And whatever we play here or in New Orleans, I love the audiences. So I would, you know, uh, always be happy to talk to them if they come after the show. So just, you know, Follow my website, aminifikarova.com, and you will find all about our concerts. Thanks, Amina. We'll be leaving our audience with your composition, Breakfast with the Elephant. Thank you. Amina Figarova, the acclaimed pianist and brilliant composer. Thank you very much indeed for talking with Jazz Beat. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye. I'm Dia Bechit in Washington. Mm-hmm.